0: You're listening to Leading Up with Udemy. This podcast is your guide to developing your skills as an emerging or seasoned leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently to create a better world. I was really excited to have Sabrina Khan on the podcast today. The way she talked about dealing with imposter syndrome and feeling like maybe I don't belong and being a mom and a partner and how to sort of fight back those beasts and win and get ahead and work with others. I just thought she brought
1: an incredible sense about those things. There is one side where people really do understand the value of learning in the industry or in their company, and you see a lot of effort being put into it. But the flip side is other things take priority. So how do we make it the top priority? How do we ingrain it into everything that people do? How do we really make sure that the senior leadership team know the value of people taking time out to learn? Because that time out is not time spent on doing a project or doing their day-to-day job. This week on Leading Up, I'm speaking with
0: Sabrina Khan about creating inclusive and welcoming environments and being more connected as a leader in the workplace. Sabrina leads performance and development at Encompass, where she emphasizes the importance of creating spaces for open conversations that make employees feel welcome while taking a human approach to leadership that makes work more fun. Sabrina's experience in enterprise learning crosses industries from financial to human capital and company sizes both large and small including some pretty interesting work at London's airport. No matter the industry, Sabrina has proven that building an inclusive and welcoming environment is key to fostering the trust and open communication that leads to high performance at work. Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to see what we come up with. So, Sabrina, you have a reputation for being an amazing advocate and champion for learning at work, and you've been a big Udemy proponent. Why do you champion learning so eagerly?
1: It's a very good question. I fell into the L&D industry many years ago, like a lot of my colleagues and peers. And it's something that I think is intertwined into every single company. So regardless of which industry it is, it's everywhere. And it's a component that I'm really passionate about. I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about people. So together, I think they make a really good subject to champion. I've worked with Udemy for quite a few years now. So Udemy is like the obvious choice for me to champion. I've done some webinars, I'm doing this podcast. And I think the Udemy also has the same kind of passion for learning as an LD professional does. So I like to be a voice in the LD world. Yeah,
0: beautiful. So according to Pew Research, the millennial generation became the largest in the labor force in 2016. And there are many studies that show that this group values and expects learning at work and it's key to staying with their employer or selecting an employer. So do senior leaders understand the value and benefits of investing in learning or do you need to find ways to make that clear for them? What's your take?
1: There is a is two sides. There is one side where people really do understand the value of learning in the industry or in their company and you see a lot of effort being put into it. But the flip side is other things take priority. So how do we make it the top priority? How do we ingrain it into everything that people do? How do we really make sure that the senior leadership team know the value of people taking time out to learn? Because that time out is not time spent on doing a project or doing their day-to-day job. So it is a constant battle. It's one that I don't think will ever leave. I think it's, it's one of those things that it will always be at varying degrees. But I think where companies are coming out in social media, people coming out on LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that. Really fun companies, the younger kind of CEOs, they really highlight the need for learning and the value of it more than I would say like 15 20 years before. So I think that helps. It helps when we have loads of success stories to show and say actually taking a little bit of time out and spending on people expanding their skill set or working towards being really innovative and Upskilling themselves in what they want, there's a value to the business and actually ends up making money for the company. So I think it's getting better. I think there will always be a challenge. There will always be that need to keep reiterating the message and and that return of investment, which always gets us. We have to prove the reason why we're doing something because it doesn't bring in money uh, initially, but I think it will always be a challenge.
0: Are there any examples or projects or initiatives that you did where you were able to show the value or any way to show some impact that got senior leaders excited?
1: Yeah. So I think sometimes the value isn't Seen immediately. I've got a really good example. I used to work at an an airport in the UK. And if you can imagine, it's a really heavily regulated industry, lots of people, really fast paced. We were a team of about 15 trainers in the training department looking after about 3,000 security officers. So you have the things like onboarding, you have your annual refreshers, you have the annual fire training, all that kind of stuff. So you end up churning out a lot of the delivery. So it's just about getting through the numbers, ticking the boxes, making sure you've done everything and done. And at one particular time, there was a, a group of us who were put together to reinvent our refresher annual refresher training. So how do we, and this was the aim, how do we make the refresher training be really inclusive, make sure that it includes everybody with loud voices and quiet voices, It can boost morale. We'll do a bit of team building and still tick that regulation box. So we came up with a really innovative, interactive, immersive program, which was really, really fun, really educational. It took a lot of energy from everybody, but actually the value of it was that the teams left there smiling, laughing, together like more of a team than they were when they came in it was brilliant and actually there's ripple effect and the conversations went all the way through to the senior people of the company and it was a flagship program recognized in the UK to get from standing in front of 30 people and just reading loads of material and then they're done to that there's a big journey and it takes people that are really committed to the end goal Because there's lots of resistance in large companies, right? So what's the point of this? So you're taking four people out of their day job and they're going to be sitting there working, creating this program, which might or might not work. So there is that challenge there. You have to persevere. When you know that something is going to be really good and you can see that line, you have to really persevere and take all these people on that journey with you and get them as excited as you are and as passionate as you are about it, and then it'll happen naturally. Yeah, that was a a real success story for us, I think. There's
0: something you told me in the past about having self-limiting beliefs when you were early in your career, and I thought that was important. One example, Michelle Obama always talks about never feeling good enough. She wasn't good enough to be at the fancy college that she got accepted to. She said she didn't feel like she was good enough to be the first lady, and that this imposter syndrome is the central battle in her life. And I think it's something that resonates with our listeners. So tell me about your self limiting beliefs. How did you deal with it early in your career?
1: Yeah, sure. I think it's really difficult. And I don't think it's just early in the career. I think it can be any time. But when you go into a new role, when you go into a new industry, when you move from one to another, and when you work with a new team, it's really easy to feel like you don't belong or I'm not quite good enough to be here right now. And that imposter syndrome, I've spoken to so many people coming off maternity leave, massive imposter syndrome, I started a new role. I came off maternity leave and I was like, oh, they're going to think, why did we hire her? And it's very scary to be in that position. And I think you have to remember there is something that somebody saw in you for you to get that role. That's the first thing. So you have the qualification, you have the experience, you have the something. You tick all those boxes. The second thing is you don't have to reinvent the wheel to showcase what you do. So I remember at one time I started as an IT trainer for the first time. It was my first IT job years ago. And I thought, right, I've got this position now. I've got to really, really show them that I'm good for this position and I will learn and I will do my best. And there was this training material and I spent all my evenings recreating this training material. And hindsight's a beautiful thing, Alan. Because at the time, it was like the right thing to do. And I worked really, really hard to try and reinvent and really showcase all this hard work. Upon reflection, I was speaking to my mentor, Joe Cora, who's been mentored me for quite a few years now. When I first met her, she goes, Oh, we don't need to reinvent the meal. If it exists, it's fine. We can just use that as a framework and you can build on it. If there's any gaps, we can then fill them. You don't have to work much harder to prove that you're worthy of your role. And I sat there for ages going, oh my gosh, I I wasted so much time. But actually, it was a big learning curve. So I needed to go through that to prove to myself rather than to other people that actually I'm good for this role. So I think you really have to do a bit of self-reflection and really tell yourself all the positive things that you do and how well you do them. And then also, you have to remember that you will be learning. As you go through. So there will be hiccups, there will be mistakes, there will be things that you think, oh, I should have done this differently or I should have done this better, but it's all part of the learning journey. And that's okay. You also mentioned that you had a mentor.
0: Can you talk about the importance of having that mentor and what's the value? How do you get one? How do you keep one?
1: My mentor, I stumbled upon as she was my new line manager in the previous company that we worked at. And she, fell into the role of mentor and she was a brilliant manager because she cared so much. And I think she's a natural mentor, Joe Corey. She's a head of people at Encompass Corporation. She's absolutely brilliant. And what I learned most from her is, number one, I learned from her just everything that she does. So from her delivery, the way she comes across, the way she spoke to C-suite, all of those things that I hadn't dealt with before. So I learned from just by watching her. And then she spent a lot of time looking at development for me. So rather than just being comfortable in my role, she was going, okay, so what else do you want to do? Oh, what else are you interested in? Have you thought about doing this? And then she really encouraged and pushed me to do different things, which I was really grateful for because it opened up a lot of opportunities for me. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing was I had a space to discuss L&D because L&D worlds in smaller companies can be quite lonely. And it was really good to then have sessions where we will just sit and talk about L&D. It might be something new we've learned. It might be an event we went to. It might be a webinar or anything we've learned. We used to share it and it used to be two way and it still is. And I think that's really useful. So my recommendation would be to find a mentor or a coach. If you haven't got one where you work, you can go on LinkedIn and reach out to people. People can, people, you'll be surprised at how helpful people can be. And I think that would be my top advice. Find a mentor, somebody who can challenge you, who can push you in the right direction, who can guide you, who you can have conversations with. That's really helped me for the last few years. Do you have any final
0: advice for someone around how to overcome their self-limiting beliefs?
1: Yeah, I think you have to, so by the way, coaching helped me too. So our company, we go through a different company, but we had random coaching sessions because I wanted somebody that I didn't know to give me a different perspective. So I chose a coach that I didn't work with and she really made me Help me to open up and look at everything in a different perspective. I think if you have that opportunity, take it. You don't lose anything from trying that. So a bit of self-reflection there. I think keep learning because when you learn, you build your confidence. When you share your knowledge with other people, it really helps and builds confidence. So one of the sharing knowledge piece, one of the things that we i have done in the last two companies, and especially here where I work now, is we bring people together in a knowledge share session where we have experts in their fields who then discuss and share what they know to expand people's skill sets and knowledge. And I think that's really important because we do the same. So by doing this podcast, it will help me. It, by doing, I don't know, a webinar externally, it helps me. And I think I understand where I am and I'm doing really well here. And, and so keep challenging yourself so then you can reassure yourself that you're in the right place.
0: Love it. Yeah. Beautiful. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash now. Is there a difference between working at companies, large and small? What did you learn about the different worlds?
1: When I've worked in a large company and when I've worked in a smaller company, it comes with its own challenges. So how do I make an impact? How do I get to the ears of people? How do I share what I want to share and have that same working relationship with people who are really far away? And I had to shift my mindset quite a lot. Um, so one of the things that I had to do was create Opportunities for conversation because this really helps bring lots of people from different areas. Another thing that you can do is be a champion or an advocate earlier for what you believe in and really showcase that because it does filter through to other people in different departments and different areas of the business, um, which I think is really powerful. Equally, when you join a small company, you might have all the autonomy. There's also a lot more on your shoulders. How do you make everything meaningful. You have an option to personalise content, personalise your communication, personalise your interactions. You can't take everything on, but what you do take on, you've got to make sure it's really impactful because the expectation will be there as well because it'll be on your shoulders. And it's quite similar to control. So there's some companies where everything was laid out for me, what I needed to do, and I didn't really have a choice in what I was delivering or what I was doing. And then you've got some where it's an open Books. So you're the one writing those chapters. So what do you fill them with? What is it that's important? What's important to people? How do I impact them in the right way? And how do I get my message across that I want to?
0: Yeah. So I imagine many of our listeners are wondering if they work at a large company, should I move to a small one? If I'm a small company, should I move to a large one? Do you like that diversity of size? Is that a helpful thing? Is that something you'd recommend people do, or should they stick to a certain track
1: that they know? I think you can make your mark in either one. When I worked in a larger company, I learned a lot from a larger company and everybody has their own preference. It was a very buzzy environment, lots of people. You might not speak to the same people for a very long time. You know, you can get through so many people. So it comes with its own challenges, but it also has its own pros, which is, I think, really important to pick out and equally for a smaller company. So I think go with what you feel comfortable in. I don't think there is a a right or a wrong, but regardless of whether it's a small company or a large company, everybody still has opportunity to influence in the right way. So it's whatever you feel comfortable with. There are pros and cons to both. I've learned so much when I worked in a large company and I learned so much when I worked in a small company. So I don't think there is a need to go to a smaller or a large company to develop yourself. Take any any opportunity and learn from it is really important.
0: I would bet that something you'd look for across any employer would be maybe the idea of a place that feels inclusive. and. One of our prior guests on Leading Up was Dr. Stephanie Johnson. She's a research professor on the topic and author of the book, Inclusify. She points out in the research that it's really clear that if you have diversity of teams, it improves decision-making, innovation, engagement, but there's a twist. She basically says, if you have an inclusive culture and no diversity, you're missing the benefits of different perspectives. And if you have diverse culture... But you lack inclusion, you're not hearing all the voices, and you're still missing the benefit. And if you can get both, you see greater retention and and organizational performance. Sabrina, what's your perspective on creating an inclusive culture?
1: A really interesting quote that I picked up from a webinar was, diversity is being different, inclusion is being welcomed and respected. It was a culture and diversity EDI group that I had attended. So really interesting conversations across the board. But they were talking about how somebody's journey into the company. So let's start with onboarding, for example. Somebody who's starting their onboarding journey makes or doesn't make them into the, uh, welcoming the company. And so we spent a lot of time looking at onboarding in terms of diversity and inclusion, because we don't want the same people coming through the doors because you'll get the same output. We want different people coming through the door with different opinions and different thoughts and different perspectives because you'll get a richer and deeper output. And the inclusive part we can do as part of the onboarding. When I started with Encompass, I had a really nice learning with Udemy. Actually, I'll mention it because we're on the Udemy podcast. It had everything to do with the company and what I need to know. It talked about ED&I within our company. So that was my kind of first introduction to it here, which was great. They set up introduction meetings with every single department, which I thought was unique. So the exec or senior manager would talk through their department, welcome each small group of employees who just started. I think there was three of us. And then you have a one-to-one call with a CEO which is unheard of for any company that I worked in. So he would individually welcome you and ask you about yourself and that kind of stuff. And immediately you felt like you were part of something bigger. And I thought that was amazing. So the first introduction to this company, I thought, oh, that's brilliant. And then our talent director, Stuart Ed, he followed up time, sometime later and then sometime again, how are you getting on? How's the fit? How do you feel? With it? So I was like, this is crazy. I've never experienced this kind of welcome to any company. And I think there is so much that you can do with actually not that much effort. And I call it being human because my expectations of humans are that we are empathetic, you know, we care for people, we give people time. Maybe the expectations are not the same as reality. I don't know, but let's keep them that high. And actually being human Allows us to really make people feel welcome, be inclusive. You spend time talking to people like just as individuals. How was your day? How was your weekend? Like just normal, basic human level things. And immediately people will feel part of a bigger team. And I think that's really important. Another thing I picked up was there's an African proverb and it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think it's important to think about that in a company setting, because you can get the job if I had six other L&D professionals all thinking in exactly the same way, we will achieve what we need to achieve really, really quickly. But actually, if we had different like minded people together, it might take a little bit longer, but the result will be far superior.
0: I love that quote. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far to go together, it's one that for me has always resonated because I'm a big fan of sociocultural learning, right? Cohort-based learning and learning together. And we learn best when we learn together. We learn best when we learn and do things together and solve problems together and create value together. And so I want to ask two separate questions. One on diversity, equity, inclusion. How do you know when you're making progress? Do you measure it? Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Do you talk about it? How does the organization know it's progressing.
1: I think there's a few different ways. So here in Compass, we send out surveys and the surveys have a lot of EDI questions. How are we doing? How's it looking for you? So it's got a very detailed survey that goes out to large ones twice a year. So we use that information to really create actions. And then we act on those actions. It's really important for us as a people team to use them. So we do that kind of, so you get the actual data. I think when we come together, in like things like company day, it really highlights, and there have been shifts. So our company went from a small startup company and it's grown considerably. So where you had everybody making all the decisions, you now have 200 people not making all the decisions, but part of something bigger. And when you go to company days, and we are lucky that we're able to do company days in person, you get a feel for the culture. I think the other thing to mention here is being inclusive shouldn't be an event. It should be ingrained in every single thing that we do. So every meeting that we have in every interaction, the way we think, when it's ingrained, that's when you know it's successful. And I think that's the key. It's difficult to pull out and pinpoint, but I think that's when we know that we're being very inclusive or we've achieved what we wanted to achieve by being inclusive. And it's one of our values.
0: So it has to be tied into the values. And you said it has to be ingrained in the culture. Melissa Daimler. Udemy's chief learning officer wrote the book Reculturing, and I know you ran a book club on it. I'm wondering, how did you use the concept of the book club or Melissa's book, Reculturing, to help embed new behaviors in the culture?
1: What we decided to do was, after each chapter, implement something straight away. So it made us really look at everything and pull it apart. And what we did was our values are great. So we kept our values and our description for the values were great, but we embedded more behaviors into them. Nothing new, nothing surprising, nothing that nobody is not doing already. But actually, we just redefined them and just tightened them up a bit. So the reculturing book really made us think about what we were doing and how we're doing it. There's also this whole concept of we've always done it like that. That's something that plays up in in previous companies that I've worked with. When I challenge something, they're like, oh, but we've always done it like that that doesn't mean that it's the right way. So the reculturing book helped us really to pinpoint the things that we've previously always done. So it's been a really interesting journey. We have spent a few months, but not to the end of it yet. We actually made it part of our OKR for, the, for this cycle. So we did it as a company level. So it wasn't like a side project nice to have. It was actually one of our key projects that we worked on. And it's really helped define what we are about.
0: Yeah, love it. So you talked about human leadership. You've mentioned that you're a fan of fish philosophy. So I want to know why you're a fan and how do you connect those things? And it seems like it's a way to make work more fun. What's your take on all that?
1: I've done a lot of manager and leadership training. And one of the things we talk about is what can you do as a manager, whether it's a new manager or an existing manager with your team? One is getting to know people as individuals rather than just a team person, a teammate. And I think that's really important because when you build that really solid relationship, sometimes you have to give a little bit to get a lot back. And that's really important because sometimes when you, as a leader, when you have to challenge something, they'll know it's coming from the right place. So they can only know that if you've spent some time getting to know them and they'll get some time to spend with you to get to know you. And I think that's really important because then you're able to challenge in the right way and it's received in the right way. I think also some teams can do the same thing. So there's a little bit of monotony. The task might be the same thing that they do every day and that kind of stuff. Or the role might be actually, or this period of time, we've got to do the same thing. So as a leader, you can actually create a little bit of fun, that fish philosophy. It might be a little bit dated now, I don't know, but, and I don't know if the fish market still exists, but it's taking your everyday and really emphasising and highlighting it. And why not have a little bit of fun whilst we're doing it? Uh, There's no harm in it. And that's even more important now because our office sometimes is virtual. Our team are in our virtual space and so we're not con- directly connected to each other over the coffee or something like that like we used to in a traditional office so creating these times when we can just connect have a little bit of fun be a little bit silly and then be really productive is really important and I think that's something that I encourage lots of new line managers to do especially if they're new so that's the first part the second part you can be inclusive and welcoming and be a great leader. By doing really simple things, creating really safe spaces where people can speak openly and feel respected, where people can share their opinions, share their knowledge, et cetera, in really safe spaces. I think you as a leader can be the best example to show that first, and then other people will also then exhibit those same behaviours. I think having a really great toolkit is really important for a manager. I think the other thing is understanding or appreciating and letting other people in the team appreciate that everybody has their role for a reason and their experience and their opinions are really valued. I think feeling valued is something that's really important. I was speaking to our PR and comms director and she said something that really stuck by me. She said, you've succeeded in inclusion when someone feels part of the family. And that is the aim of a leader to make people feel part of your family. And then the aim of the department is to feel part of the department and the aim of the companies. But you can start with your own immediate family first. I think that's really important. Yeah, I
0: think that's powerful. So creating first that safety and then making each person in each role feel an important member of the team. But you said something that really resonated with me the example of having a toolkit and trying different things. What I love about that is it's like applying the scientific method to the practice of management. So I'm going to try a different tool and a different method and change things up and see what works and do more of things that work well, do less of things that aren't so well, but you're always experimenting and trying. That's a really interesting, powerful concept.
1: Yes, it's definitely one that's helped me. I have it on my own l toolkit and one that I go back to because as time goes on, you forget what you've done six months ago or a year ago and you have to work with different people in very different ways the whole point of or edni is you don't work with them in the same way you don't use the same tools with the same people with every person in the same way you have to think about the person in front of you and go what will work for this person and let's try it out together okay we need to work on this let's try this and see if it works if it doesn't We'll shift to something else. It's not a problem, but I think as a leader, you have that opportunity to create those, and then hopefully that person at some point will also do the same with a client, with another colleague, with a peer, and go, oh, actually, maybe I need to change the way I'm working here to accommodate, or actually, to work better together. So you can start with your toolkit.
0: So I'm a manager, frontline leader, and I've created everyone feels like they're part of the family, and all of a sudden, the speed of business keeps increasing. And as a result, the value of skills go down. So the faster the rate of change, the steeper the learning curve. And the only logical conclusion is continuous learning. And I wanted to switch and close on this. What are your thoughts on the need for continuous learning?
1: I think it's key to every role that exists. Everything moves so fast in the industry, in every industry. I'll give another example of my maternity leave. When I was off maternity, I came back, I thought, oh, what's changed? And actually so much had changed. We had moved into a work hybrid world. We had moved into new technology. People were talking about things I hadn't experienced whilst I was looking after my little one. And so if you don't have the continuous learning, you get outdated very, very quickly. And that's a challenge in itself. There was a time where you could learn what you need to know and that's it, you're done. We don't live in that world anymore. Everything moves so fast. If you've been off for the last three months, you won't know what AI chatbot rooms are. You won't know what chat GPT is because you've missed out on that new whatever technology is existing right now. So the continuous learning helps you not only to keep focused, to upskill yourself, to keep really up to date. When I was on the last l event, they were talking about technical skills have increased by like triple where they used to have a small amount. Now you need to triple the amount of technical skills for a new role. So in order to keep up with that, you have to keep yourself in the know. You have to keep learning, keep upskilling. And one of the things that I talk about quite a lot is don't get comfy. Don't get comfy in your role. Do your role at the utmost and do the best, absolutely. But don't get comfortable. Challenge yourself in new ways, it could be small. It could be, oh, I'm going to take a PowerPoint course, or I'm going to do a project management course, or actually, I really want to focus in on this, or whatever it might be. Do something to challenge yourself, because it'll keep you motivated. It'll keep you excited about what you're doing. We use Microsoft in our company, and in PowerPoint, they have a speech coach. I don't know if you've ever used it so you can practice your PowerPoint skills and it gives you feedback. Our teams now have it. So when you're on a meeting and it gives me a report after every call, because there is an inclusivity section. So it tells you if you're using words that are not inclusive, if you gave people space and time to talk, what your pace was, et cetera. And in the beginning, I was thinking, well, that's a lot of information. But actually after each call I look at it and I think oh what can I do to better myself my repeated words are horrendous and you probably use the same words over and over but then that's fine but I might have used a word which I didn't realize wasn't an inclusive word so you have to keep yourself on your toes all the time challenge yourself a little bit and a bit of self-reflection I think goes a long long way so that's definitely something that I would recommend to new leaders What role does curiosity play? I think it plays a large part. I call it curiosity forward slash complete nosiness. Anything new that comes out, I'm the first one on it to check it out. I'll play around with it. I'll try and mess around with it. And I think you have to be curious. You have to be curious about what's happening now. You have to be curious about what's coming up. You have to be curious about what's happened in the past that actually might come around again because everything comes around in a cycle, especially things like l and D. I I think curiosity plays a huge part, definitely. All right. Final
0: question, Sabrina. We ask all of our guests, what are you curious about and learning now?
1: I'm really curious about the new world of AI. There is a lot of talk about It will replace a lot of roles. It will do people's jobs for them or a large majority of the jobs for them. And actually there is a big element of the human factor in it. So it's definitely sparked my interest. There's a couple of courses that I'm going to be looking at to do with AI and in particular these chatbots rooms, which I find really fascinating. I've been using it, testing it out to see what comes out. I think it can be like a side assistant, an unpaid assistant, but I don't feel like it can completely take over a role, but I'm curious to see where it goes. And also what's coming up next with it? Is it going to start creating animation for us? Is it going to start creating our PowerPoint decks? What's happening next? But that's definitely a big world out there that I'm curious to know more about.
0: Beautiful. And what a great place to do it on Udemy. We have thousands of courses on AI and ChatGPT, and I've been doing it myself, finding the courses that have the highest ratings. So cool to hear that you're doing that. Thank you. Sabrina. Sabrina. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: I hope somebody found something useful that they can utilize in their journey. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode to help you level up your leadership skills. Follow the show so you never miss a new episode. And if you like the show, leave a rating or a review. We love the feedback and it really helps us find new listeners. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you develop leaders at scale and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vicmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by soundboard.